You're listening to You're United listening Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on today's show we have Jess Pryles. Hi Jess, how are you doing? Hi guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No worries, it's an honour to have you on the show. We've been talking about getting you on for ages and we've had lots of requests from our listeners to get you on so here you are finally here well thanks that's that's pretty nice thing to be in demand <laughs> <laughs> we've got probably the only uh australian more texan than most texans and it's, it's great to have you on the show well thanks i'm super excited to get to talk to y'all cool so i'm sure Pretty much all of our listeners know who you are, but if they don't, could you just start off by just introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're into in the barbecue world? Sure. Uh, my name is Jess Pryle, and I am a hardcore carnivore. So uh, I'm the co-founder of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance, um, uh, pretty involved in the beginnings of low and slow movement in Australia. I am the creator of the Hardcore Carnivore Seasoning Rubs. I now live in Austin, Texas, so I'm even closer to the epicenter of barbecue. Uh, I have uh, a JP Signature um, smoker. I have a cookbook called Hardcore Carnivore, and I develop new recipes every week that go up onto my website. And I pretty much introduce myself as a professional carnivore because anything that I do and everything that I do uh, has something to do with meat at the end of the day. So life goals for, for me and Ben to introduce ourselves as professional carnivores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And we> can... <laughs> I started doing it like many months ago because I just, you know, there was, I was asked the question and, and I needed a succinct answer. And Nick Solaris, who is another, um, another Brit who runs the meat show in New York, I noticed that he started doing it at the same time too and I messaged him and I'm like, I guess great minds think alike, you know, we're both <laughs> both have the same vocation. <laughs> I guess if there's more than one of us now it has to be legitimate. So it's a profession. We can all aim so when like we're all if we were to live again, when we're reincarnated, we can all be like, What do we want to be when we grow up? This is what we want to be professional carnivores. <laughs> so it's something to aim for now. It's the same level as doctor, I think, in my personal opinion. But we'll uh We'll go from we'll we'll get on to that. So <laughs> we've had your uh, Australasian Barbecue Alliance friend Jay Beaumont on the show, and uh, he's a good friend of of ours. We chat to him quite a bit and, and see all the amazing work that you guys are doing over in Australia. But you you sort of pre predate the ABA in sort of the barbecue world, and I sort of uh, in the peripherals of the scene sort of knew who you were before the ABA seemed to be around. And, and so how did, how did your journey into barbecue sort of begin or 
even just journey into becoming a professional uh, carnivore? How did that all begin? Yeah, it's um that that is old school if you remember that. But I for me it started when I it, two things kind of happened at the same time. So I first came to Texas uh, about gosh nine years ago now, and one of the things you're meant to do while you're here, you know, anywhere you go on vacation, there are certain things you sort of have to do, and you have to try this and see this, and you have to try barbecue. You have to try barbecue when you are. Uh, you know, when you're in Texas, it's in the like home of barbecue. Yeah, the thing that you have to do. So, uh, at any rate, they uh, I had my first taste of a beef free from a place that's not around anymore. And when you haven't ever had it before, and I'm sure most of your listeners can remember back to that first time that first taste of salty, peppery, smoky, rendered goodness just tastes like nothing else, and it really is a, a you know, a food religious experience. And as I ate the barbecue, you know, I, I came back to Texas subsequent uh, on subsequent trips and would eat more and wanted to learn more about it and how it was made. And that kind of snowballed into then wanting to translate the cuts from America back to Australia. And that's something I think that you guys could really empathize with. Um, you would Definitely. have to translate the cuts, you know, like, why is a brisket different? And I didn't understand anything about the raw side of things. So I was trying to figure out, you know, why is the American brisket so different to the Australian? And then you fall down the rabbit hole, a hole of like breeds, feed, cattle, butchery, grading systems. And so as that was happening, it sort of ignited a, a interest in general about well, why can't I apply this to sort of all, all forms of meat? Um, because I wasn't really cooking much meat at home because I found it to be extremely intimidating. And then by educating myself, uh, I, I sort of remedied that. Um, and that education, of course, then went full full bore. <laughs> I don't like to do things in halves, it seems. Um, <laughs> and ended up doing everything from sort of visiting slaughterhouses to – um, you know, attending short courses at Texas A&M University to just speaking to producers and butchers and things like that. And I'm still thirsty for knowledge and now like to share that knowledge through the website. Um, yeah, you've definitely got the first for that. And we've, I've seen quite a few interviews with you and like various different places showing you like getting into the abattoirs even and getting involved with the butchery. So is that something you're still passionate about? Like keep going back to the kind of raw level of where the meat comes from? Yeah, definitely, because it, all the abattoirs produce differently in different sizes, you know, do different things. I was just in an abattoir a couple of weeks ago when I was back in Australia, and um, I, I think it's really important to constantly further your education, your understanding, and there's so many different ways that you could go. Like sometimes I sort of feel like the woman who knew too much, <laughs> just in terms of, you know, you can be interested in the science of it and then the raising of the cattle and are you more interested in, in – and there's a whole amazing thing that happens in terms of like pH and aging and, and you can spend so much time on barbecue alone if you can imagine how, how deep that runs and how full-blown those obsessions can be. And then if you think about – if you had the same obsession about the meat that you were getting, you, you could just spend a lot of time being – 
really focused <laughs> on a bunch of different topics. So I try and constantly refresh what it is that I'm learning without um, getting too caught up in wanting to know everything because it's a little tough. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there's just so much to learn and you could... That you the the reason why a butcher is an expert in that is because they just dedicate themselves to that one thing. So you could spend your whole life trying to become an expert in everything, but sometimes exactly. you just have to settle with. I'm pretty good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> Even like butchers, though, like butchers tend to be experts in butchery. But whenever you go, wherever you travel around the world, like that that expertise is slightly different because you've you've grown up in a culture that uses certain cuts or certain cattle. So in the UK, most of the stuff's grass fed. So you, you don't really have a great expertise on stuff like corn fed cattle and, and how that develops the meat in certain ways. And it's, so it's like that, that level of expertise is, is also just, there's so many different elements to it when you start traveling regionally or, or worldwide to how that can affect their, their profession. So it's like, it can just it just turns into this just sort of craziness i mean it goes like a great thing i think about is like uh, matt williams of the oxford charcoal and, and how insanely intelligent you can just dive into the world of charcoal and each element of of barbecue and each element of cooking just in general food or or however you want to put it it's just the more you explore it's just an endless world of, of sort of knowledge and that's why i think we're all sort of uh, constantly learning we're on this we're on this road i'd say all to, to to enlightenment enlightenment where we're all trying to learn all of the time we're all developing our skills no one ever is really there with it we're all trying to get there but i guess sort of at the same time we don't really know where there is so as we start traveling along this path it's sort of like little other things interest you you go off a minute i'm in a bit of a uh, southeast asian kick living over here in, in in kl so now i'm sort of seeing things from a completely different side so i'm sort of experimenting with all their sort of tastes and flavors and styles over here also, I'm seeing the American uh, sort of barbecue sort of arrive here, and it's sort of like there's a few places that are opening. A brand new smokehouse just opened last week, so it's sort of like, and now that's amalgamating with the local community as well. So you're seeing that new sort of uh, that new part of barbecue sort of springing out as well. So it's sort of like everything's just super crazy at the minute. Okay, yeah, I mean it is, and and I agree with you, and and. You know, one of the things that happened for me, exactly what you're talking about, is this. Like, I love barbecue. It was my first love in the meat world. And I got obsessed with understanding the science of smoking and this, that, and the other. But it's the same thing. Like, if you're in, if people perceive you in the position of an expert, you're asked about all sorts of things. So, um, but, you know, like, I have an offset pit, for example. And that's what I use to smoke all my meats in even though I have a ceramic egg as well. But, you know, I don't, I don't want, just for the sake of being able to answer people's questions, to have to cook everything on every type of piece of equipment so I can kind of troubleshoot for people. Like, I think I like the results best out of an offset, and that's what I'll do. So, uh, you know, I can't answer a question about a ceramic egg fail as much as... Um, you know, someone who cooks on those exclusively, just like I can probably answer a question about an offset and vice versa. But uh, the other thing that happened for me personally, crazy with side dishes like smoked onion dip and smoked beets and all this kind of stuff. But 
the, we've identified the proteins that do best in the smoker. You know, we're not, I, I think that when people try and look for things, you know, magical cuts that they haven't discovered yet, well, we've found the best ones, you know, that the low and slow cuts do the best for a reason. And so then for me, it became more of an obsession with meat and particularly red meat in general and wanting to cook that in whichever way it should be cooked. So grilling or braising or, or a combination of the two or whatever it is, it's, it's actually more about the meat than just the technique. And that's kind of where I've morphed to at the moment, even though I obviously still do and eat a lot of barbecue. <laughs> so so when did this kind of obsession i guess with with meat and all of this knowledge become something that you thought oh, actually this is more than just an obsession like i want to make a business like calling in, it's like calling yeah, in where i want to become a professional carnival um so what happened was i started a what, what i would call a food blog at the time of all my visits to austin writing about the barbecue and the burgers and a couple other bits and pieces just because I didn't expect anyone to read it um, just because I had always enjoyed writing and I was taking photos and I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to bombard my Facebook friends. I'll just put it online somewhere. And over the years, it sort of morphed into a, a, a definitive kind of guide to the barbecue that was happening in Austin because I was traveling over here so often. Uh, and I was also learning stuff at the same time. And as you point out, sort of being asked to be a translator back in Australia at the very start of things. So in fact, when I met Jay and Adam from the ABA, um, I was invited to Jay's very first Port Macquarie festival, which is the, the barbecue wars is what ABA was founded off the back of the first one. And we just did the fourth one. So, um, and, and I was invited up there as sort of the barbecue personality because Jay hadn't really, he just knew he was interested in barbecue and Adam hadn't really cooked barbecue before. And it's amazing to see how, how far they've come since then. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it was just sort of this, this, I, I started to write, you know, started to write about it, started to get recognition for it um, through things like what I just described. And it eventually led to me saying, all right, well, you know, I, I, I'm being asked for media interviews. I'm being asked to quote in the media because there's no one else and this should sort of get a bit serious. And the biggest thing for me was deciding to move to Texas. Um, I moved, I rebranded to a proper website with my own name. I don't really consider it a food blog because um, there's a lot of information on there. There's no ads on there. Um, I don't just attend restaurants because they're offering me a free meal kind of deal. Um, and, and I made a definitive decision to kind of make it or break it. And so far I'm making it. So there you go. But on the, at the same time as all of this, you know, I cared about the content that I was writing. I cared about the experience that I was getting. I cared about the education that I was getting and I cared about dissemin disseminating that in a way that matters to people. I mean, not everyone starts off as an expert, you know, Stephen Reiflin didn't, Myron didn't. You know, someone like Myron Mixon, who's so amazing at what he does, is still hyper-focused on cooking that kind of protein, you know, because that's what he was taught and then perfected. So uh, it, it's all it's all relative, I think, in some ways. And I've still got a lot to learn about a lot of things, but I can also answer some questions pretty effectively. <laughs> <laughs> what also seems cool about you is that you've you've – You've, you're sort of on a broad spectrum where you're trying to educate, you're trying to spread 
the, the good word of barbecue. You're also part of a, well, the Australian Barbecue Society, which is uh, the sorry alliance, which is basically a an alliance that's created a, a, a huge following of, of barbecue competitions in in Australia and really sort of spread that word over there. And also at the same time, you're developing stuff like rubs and cookbooks, recipes and stuff, people to follow and get into it as well. So it's like a real all-rounder sort of way of promoting barbecue and, and sort of red meat and the use of, of cooking and stuff. It, and it's really cool to see. Well, thank you. And you know what? I appreciate using all-rounder because that's one terminology the Americans don't understand and I miss being able to use it freely. <laughs> so being that it's, you know, derived from cricket. They don't really get it over here and there's no real translation. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's important to me. You know, I, I'm kind of running a little meat empire, but um, – and that's why it's so hard when people are like, what do you do? Like, I, I don't know exactly, but I can tell you it takes up 20 hours of every day kind of thing. So. And, and the, the hardcore carnival rubs sort of absolutely just exploded onto the scene and it's really funny. I was sort of uh, experiment with charcoal and rubs around the same sort of time, and and they absolutely blew up. And we saw it sort of blow up in in America, really, and then uh, Australia. And it sort of like made its way over to the UK. It sort of took some time getting over here uh, into into the hands of people. But as soon as it did, it was again everyone absolutely loved loved the rubs over here. And the, the sort of con the 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 black is is superb and sort of. Uh, just the contrast it gives and I think like the the whole eating of your eyes really comes into into the rub as well and it's sort of like uh, an experiential rub as well as just the, the flavors as well which is which is cool yeah and you know uh, I appreciate you saying that thank you I the, the black aspect of it the, the activated charcoal is um, you know an element that makes it different and unusual and gets people talking about it and it does work it works both visually to give a bark and it, it also kind of you know chemically or, or um in its makeup helps set up a bark especially over live fire or live heat um yeah. it, it helps really get a beautiful crust but I, I really think the reason that the rubs have done so well, because Hardcore Carnival Red, which I designed, it's the same flavor profile as black. I just had these competition guys asking me for a product that, you know, didn't have the black in it because it's not that appealing on something like pork ribs. So yeah. I developed red, and, and red is what's been winning for all the competition guys, and they use it on chicken and pork and brisket. But the thing that makes both of the rubs, I think, where what has taken them to where they are today is that it was the first time and the first way for me to have somebody figure out you, you can't taste my food you can recreate my recipes but I don't have a restaurant you can't come and eat it but when you buy a bottle of rub that I've designed or that I came up with that's what I think rub should taste like. That's what I think food should taste like. So first of all, there's that connector. And the, and the most important thing is I, I think that it's different to so many other rubs on the market because it's really understated. I feel like a lot of people when they create a bottle of rub or a new seasoning rub feel like they want to or need to put a lot of flavor and a big impact and MSG because if you're going buy seasoning it should be really in your face yeah and hardcore sort of did the opposite of that so there's still strong flavors in there but they're all sort of 
gentle and mellow and allow the meat to speak for itself. That is, is a reason why I, I enjoy it, though. I wouldn't put a lot of seasoning on a steak. I mean, you'd rather, you would very rarely, I would not use sort of a rub on a steak. I mean, I just wouldn't personally. It would be a rare thing for you to see me doing. Salt and pepper, probably as far as I go. And I think that's what, what makes me enjoy the, the sort of hardcore uh, carnivore rubs is is the fact that they aren't trying to be something too much they're subtle they're they're complementing the steak's flavor they're not trying to change the steak's flavor they're trying to bring out that beefiness in the steak which is exactly what what you want i guess on sort of red meat and, and stuff i've i've not really ventured out to using it with a lot of other stuff but it's probably one of the only seasonings uh, pre-made sort of rubs i would use on a steak happily yeah and i think you know taste it's such a personal thing, and I, I know I've been served steaks before. When I get served steak in the steakhouse, I expect it to have nothing but salt and pepper on it. And every now and again, you end up at a steakhouse that's like, oh, this place is known for ages. There was this little place in rural Texas that I went to, that tiny little town that's like, everyone knows this place. You have to go there. It's really famous. And they use a really, really intense seasoning rub on their steaks that has, like, cumin and really powerful herbs like rosemary and stuff like that and i took one bite and um and you know sort of smiled weakly at the table and thought this is exactly what i don't want to eat right now like i don't want i don't like cumin particularly very much unless it's in the right context of mexican food or, or indian food and i you know it was it was immediately over for me and i'm conscious of that and i see a lot of rubs especially designed for steak that i pick up and that's fine some people like the bold flavor i'm not trying to say mine's better it's just different and it's resonated for that for that uh reason but you pick them up and you see like rosemary and thyme and all these really you know really intense herbs in there or, or they're trying to make it different by putting something else in there it's like well you're all you're doing is narrowing down how many people you appeal to the more stuff you put in i think yeah definitely i agree with you there but i guess like people that is the thing that everyone wants to create the new the new rub what's gonna be the next big hit and just doing something that everyone's done already you can't really say that that's yours and new and you need to come up with an edge to make your new products stand out from the crowd i guess but like you said you just all you're doing is narrowing down who's actually going to like the taste of your rub exactly exactly <laughs> which is kind of what the whole thing with competition barbecue right it's just trying to find a flavor profile that appeals to the broadest amount of palate yeah and you i guess i think we're seeing more and more of this happening i don't know if it's maybe just in, outside of the competition scene but more and more rubs are like basically excelling on the fact that they're like we don't have msg we don't have gluten we don't have this like people are getting more and more like i myself won't buy a rub that's got msg in it and that's i think becoming more and more of a thing that people don't want to put that in their body do they well it's funny you bring it up because msg is not so my rubs are msg free but MSG is not actually bad for you. It's a naturally occurring substance. It's just that we've found a way to distill it into a really, uh, you know, complex form or, or a concentrated form. And here's the thing. Uh, I, I'm working on my next rub right now, and I would actually love to use MSG in it, but I can't because that's what I've built the brand on, that it doesn't have MSG in it. And I think people have that reaction to it. And I think they have that reaction, that response to it, because... People haven't used it judiciously. 
I think a tiny sprinkle of it could change the flavor of everything. But most of the time, if I'm eating MSG, I know what imme- I can tell immediately if something has MSG on it because people have been too heavy handed and too kind of obvious with it. And it's really, it's hard. It's hard to come up with things that don't have those classic flavor. You know, think about most of the crisps in the, in the grocery store, all of those fake flavors we love so much will absolutely have a natural flavor enhancer, which gives it its chickeniness and umaminess. And it's difficult to come up with things that hit that, that don't use that. But I, I totally understand what your misgivings are, which is why I, you know, chose to omit them from my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like I say, it is, it's down to the press, isn't it? That's, we're told, don't eat MSG, it's bad for you. And that's what people yeah, read into. It's bad for you in in, a, in large amounts, you know? And, and it was never, I mean, seaweed's high in MSG, mushrooms are high in MSG, tomatoes are high in MSG, naturally occurring glutamates. It's just that we went and, you know, distilled them into this concentrated crystal powder that then everyone's like, just pour it on everything. And yeah. that's where you kind <laughs> Definitely. So moving on to talk about your book that's out now and I've seen quite a few people in like Facebook groups and stuff in the UK now posting that they've got it adding it to their big collection of barbecue books and what so what's the kind of thinking behind the book what was your inspirations and stuff for developing it well I guess and I, I don't want to deter anyone because I know this is a barbecue podcast but the most important thing that I guess I need to make clear about the book is that it's not a barbecue book it's a meat book it has some barbecue recipes in there, but just as what I described earlier, it, the tagline of the book is cook meat like you mean it. And it, and it's designed to make you a better meat cook than before you own the book. So I split it into two sections, the forequarter and the hindquarter. And the forequarter talks about um, different, I guess, techniques and, and concepts that will help you be a better cook, understanding temperature, understanding what the Maillard reaction is, um, you know, getting a better idea of cuts, knives that you should be using, how to spatchcock a chicken, all, all the informational section that was still pretty concise because I know myself, like I, I've got lots of books at home that I started off going, wow, look at all this information. And then never actually read them. <laughs> Just kind of flip forward to the recipes. So I tried to include the information in a way that was really easy to digest. And then the, the hindquarter are all the recipes. So there's definitely some smoke stuff in there, but I think that, especially in the UK with the kind of weather that you guys have, um, it, it's a more seasonal book to you, you know, to be able to use it year round. We're not always going to be in the dead of winter at a smoker, you know? So um, it, it's got grilling, it's got stews, it's got braises, it's got a little bit of everything, but I would imagine even if you are a hardcore barbecue fan, you're still a hardcore meat fan. So I, I still imagine that this book is still really relevant and a welcome addition, hopefully, to your to your bookshelf. Yeah, so there's no plan for the hardcore vegetable book to come out next. <laughs> there will not be. I'm going on record to say there will not be a hardcore vegetable book. <laughs> so maybe I'll release a hardcore vegetable book. Um, is that all right with you? <laughs> Absolutely, you can you can go ahead as long as I get a little thank you in the comments. <laughs> yeah. No worries. I did. I read in an interview, I think, in a UK paper actually a little while ago about um, the fact that you eat meat every day, and that's that. Um, so, you, do you 
do you have any like qualms over people that do complain about the kind of health benefits of eating meat every day we're not we're not them because we just do the same as you but <laughs> we do i do quite often get that when i stand up i was at the weekend giving a talk and we were all we were talking about all day was meat and i did actually do my demo was with fish and and there i was like well here we go that's there's your alternative there but yeah. um <laughs> but there was yeah, a lot of people asking yeah but what about the health benefits of eating too much meat uh well you, you just have to you just have to everything is in moderation right and i do eat meat every day and it's not to be controversial or look tough or anything like that it's just a natural part of my diet but what that means is that like four out of days at least out of the week it's going to be lean meat so it'll be ground turkey or, or chicken or lean beef um uh, you, you, when we say we eat meat every day it's not that we're eating fatty brisket every day because it's that's completely unsustainable so um you know and the other thing I say to people is something's going to kill you. You're just going to have to prove that it was meat. Who's to say something else isn't going to be doing it? You, know? <laughs> you may as well die happy, so yeah. just eat loads of meat. That's that's all I'm going to say. Cool. So, what, so what's next for Jess Sprouse? Uh, I'm about to fly back to Australia to do some stuff with MLA, which is Meat and Livestock Australia down there. And then I am... Um, gosh, what am I doing? Oh, gosh, this, I'm working on the new rubs. I'm working on some new merch to come out in time for Christmas this year. Uh, and just there's always different trips and fun things and experiments and recipes. And yeah, I'm working on a, on a fire pit and all sorts of stuff happening. Yeah, we awesome. haven't, we haven't I know really we've talked pushed... about your smokers actually, have we? Because you've got the your signature smokers as well, haven't you? Yeah, they're made in Houston by Pits and Spits, the JP Signature Edition, and it's a traditional Texas offset smoker, and I just added some details that I think would be really beneficial for the home cook that maybe doesn't have their own, you know, if, if, it's not designed for someone who has a huge rig, it's not designed for someone who has a huge outdoor kitchen, but it is a standalone that if you're only going to have one unit, this will be everything for you, so, Yeah. Awesome. So any plans to get that cool. to the UK? <laughs> uh, I think that Great Outdoor Barbecue Co. were looking into it, but if you're interested, I would hit them up because uh, they just need probably to know that a few more people are interested in them. But we're happy to ship them. Cool. Awesome. And how does it feel like going back to Australia, which is, I mean, I have to almost say like sort of like your your baby, I would say, where you've probably done so much to – to spark off that that initial interest in in uh, in barbecue, in in terms of sort of this American style of barbecue, and uh, and the ABA has done so much to catalyze it, and and it's just absolutely popping off in a crazy way, and, and we're seeing sort of some of the what I would say look like some of the best sort of uh, new restaurants and barbecue opening, some of the best sort of uh, competition barbecue coming out of. Uh, Australia at the moment and it's, it's it's amazing to see how how does that feel uh do you sort of f feel responsible ish for that or in, in a small way and do you look back and feel proud when you go back to Australia and, on, on how things have changed and, and have a bit of pride as you were I would say you would quite hugely to do with that really uh, I mean there's a tremendous sense of pride there but I think that you have to walk a fine line between taking credit for it I mean I definitely think that and appreciate that I was a big part of providing the platform for all that to happen. 
but um, you know, the the natural progression of it has happened all on its own. And you know, the guys who are produ- and girls who are producing that food are doing it all on their own, and and should get full credit for it. But it definitely was pretty cool. You know, I I was the one who kind of wrote our rules and our judges course and they they've been updated as we've been going along but to have put the structure in place to begin with was pretty cool and then to see everyone running with it even cooler awesome definitely well we've taken up enough of your time jess so thanks very much for spending time talking to us um could you just before we go could you just let everyone know where they can find you on your social media and stuff yeah, you bet. You can find me at jessprials.com uh, or you can find the rubs at hardcorecarnival.com and I'm on all the social media platforms just as Jess Priles, J-E-S-S-P-R-Y-L-E-S. Very simple. <laughs> Get following people. Yeah. You bet. Cool. Well, thanks very much again, Jess. We'll speak to you again yeah. soon. Appreciate it. Chat soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out kamadojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips, or planks... You can find them at smokewoodshack.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack.